Last week, I said this. I said the Father sent the Son, and we know that. According to 1 John chapter 4, you can go look this up. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am sending the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. And I believe that the Spirit is sending us, okay? Not to just come to church, but to come as the church. And then to leave as the church and go out as the church. So if this is what we believe, then it would be silly if we didn't give you opportunities to do just that. So next weekend, we have our annual serve day. It is where we earn the right through serving to share the gospel in this community and the surrounding area. Iota, Platt, Mamu, Elton, Kinder, Jennings, Lawtel, Opelousas, who am I forgotten? I don't know, all over the place. And we're sending teams all over this city and the cities all around us to elementary schools. We've called mayor's offices. And we have plenty of projects. What we don't have is you signed up to help us with all of those projects. So next Saturday, we're asking you, if you had plans, tell them you'll reschedule for the next week. And we want to invite you through a challenge. I'm a challenger. It's, I took a test, and I was told that I was a challenger. Um, we want to invite you to join us next Saturday and prioritize serving not just our city, but the surrounding area, the community that God has given us influence with and I, I even within um, all around. You can go to EuniceChurch.com, sign up for that, or we've put a table for those of you who don't like the internet for things that you don't want to do. You can, <laughs> you, can, you can go to the back and sign up in person before you leave here today. Um, when I was a youth pastor, uh, actually it was, I was a children's pastor, I think at this time, the young adult pastor at the church that I was on staff invited me to go on a missions trip. And I was like, I'm not a missionary, but but okay, and he told me the cost, and I, um, I was a graduate student, and Megan had a job, but I was like, I think Megan can afford that, so I'll try to go. Um, and, and I signed up, and we went to White River, Arizona. Um, I gotta tell you this, it's too cool to leave out. There was a Latino man, he was up in age at the time, Pastor Robert Jimenez, went as an Assembly of God, U.S. missionary, went to the Apache Indian Reservation, White River, Arizona, and he planted a church. And that church plant turned into this Assembly of God group of people gathered there in the name of Jesus. And ultimately, for 25 years, he lived there as a Latino man, planted a church in Apache land. Come on, that's cool. And 25 years later, after struggling with illness and, and struggling. By the way, um, the Apache people are, are very to themselves. Uh, they're kind of like you. You know, they don't like people that aren't from there. Even if it's just like a couple hours away. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, very, they're very to themselves. However, they're also very much like you. Once they accept you, you in. Come on, they're going to take care of you. They're going to feed you fat. Come on, somebody. That's how the Apache people were. Well, Pastor Robert had invested so much in those people that when he passed away, he was still there. When he passed away, they actually asked 
to have his body buried on their land. And their chief, the Apache chief, was part of being able to authorize and approve that burial in that place. Very spiritual people. Before he passed away, Pastor Robert handed the torch over to today's pastor, an Apache man that was discipled, saved, discipled, filled with the Spirit, and, and raised to preach and pastor that church, Pastor Marty Paxson. You can actually go find them today on Facebook. We've been there several times. One of the things that we would do, um, and if you've never been to that area uh, in the middle of that reservation, there, there's a lot of poverty there. Um, a lot of the kids that we would minister to didn't have running water, didn't have electricity. It was very second world, even just right here in Arizona. It was still very second world in the way that it functioned. 90% of unemployment there on the reservation. Um, and our experiences on the reservation were, were not always great. Like one year, Everybody just started regurgitating. That's the most kind word I can use to describe what was happening. And it was like, it was like the Holy Spirit in the upper room. It just caught fire. It just spread out to everybody. And, 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 and the Lord left nobody out. Come on. <laughs> and, and, and we were like so grateful to get out of there and to head from there to Flagstaff. One year we had bed bugs there at the church. And uh, there's no, like, hotel. Hey, we're going to go stay at the hotel. No, those are worse. Um, Megan told me to, if I was going to talk about the time that we had bed bugs, to make sure that people knew that we got them from a cruise. We're not just dirty people with bed bugs. Um, it wasn't because, you know, we didn't clean. And Megan cleans our sheets. I'm like, for what? <laughs> Don't you, do you like the, the clean, the sheets are so fresh and clean. Don't they smell good? I'm like, Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I was in college for five and a half years. I never did this one time. This is awesome. <laughs> True story. So anyways, we, we would get in the van and, and we would drive to Flagstaff, New Mexico. Um, and we would stay in this really nice hotel. And the next day we would wake up and we would begin to make our way to the Grand Canyon. Well, I went so many years, I got comfortable enough to invite my bride and then um, I enjoyed it so much. I, I wanted to bring my babies. I just wanted my children to see what, what this missions work kind of looked like, you know, and that's why we invite your 14 and over, I think is the age, to sign up for Serve Day with you. Um, we don't want necessarily younger than that because we don't want anybody getting hurt, but we invite you to, to prioritize serving in front of your family and with your family. So we go, we take Adeline, and one year we took Emery, and we start making our way up towards the Grand Canyon. We stop at this gorge, there's these little Apache shops, like authentic things where all our students, they love to see us coming, right? We pull up in a van and, and they start selling us stuff before we even get out of the car and they're glad we're there. And so we start buying little trinkets to, you know, not, not like pagan witchcraft trinkets, like they hey, want one of these. Like, no, no, we're good. We're good on those. Um, but the things that, you know, hatchets or whatever. And we walk up past the shops and you look over and it's this really deep gorge, it's, it's cool. It's got a rail. You, know, you can look over the rail. Don't ever go on the other side of the rail, okay? You end up on those Instagram posts as like the last photo they ever took. You know what I'm saying? Don't go past the rail. They're there for a reason. Um, we look over, and, and I, every time I took her, I took other students, and everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, it's so cool. It's like you forgot about everything you were just going through. 
like a day before because of what you were seeing where you are. And then even there, I would say, hey, listen, yes, this is cool, but just wait. Especially with her. I was so excited to take her to the Grand Canyon. She'd never been before. I had been several times. And I love to see people's face when they get to the top. Come on, in the van all the way there, they're like trying to look through the trees like, was that it? Was that it? And one year, actually start with the last photo first. This was Pastor Weston and I when we first went. Yeah, look, that's really, that's us. That's what we did on the way to the Grand Canyon. When, when neither one of us washed our sheets either. <laughs> and then I have another picture. Adeline went with us one year. This one's cute. Look at her. Oh, why do they grow up and get sassy? <laughs> there she is, Megan in the background. And then here, look, here's Megan and me at the Grand Canyon. Okay, so here, so here we are. Here's a ledge that people actually trek down to. It takes a while, um, about half a day or so, to come down to here. And then if you wanna go all the way to the bottom, you have to camp down here off of this point because it's just as far from here to there and there to the bottom where the Colorado River comes through. And so when you walk up to the edge, it's always, it's always fun to watch people like for the first time, they're like, oh, the great, because there's no way to describe what it looks like from the top. Come on, are you with me? It's the uphill journey where God begins. If God just revealed all of this all at once, it wouldn't even be worth it. But because of what you went through all the way up there, you end up, it might not have been worth it while you were way down here, but when you get where God wants you, you realize how worth it it actually was. When God reveals to you everything that he has for you, and I don't think that we'll see that until we get to eternity. I think on the way there, we're gonna have some really cool experiences. I think we'll be able to see through the trees as we continue to travel. You know, at times, we might get sick and we'll struggle with that sickness. At times, may end up with bed bugs. My Jesus, why did, why, why, Noah, did you not squash the bed bug, bro? That and the mosquitoes. Like one slap, one stomp, no mosquitoes, no bed bugs. He was that obedient to the Lord, and we pay for it for eternity. If you're taking notes with me today, if you want God, I believe if we want God to reveal what he has for us, then we must prioritize God's purpose for our lives. I believe that this is essential. We must prioritize God's purpose for our lives. I told you on Easter Sunday, we're going to do something we've never done before, um, we're not gonna beg for money. We're just gonna give you an opportunity to give and ask God what he wants you to give. We're gonna receive a legacy offering, a heart for this house offering. Um, and legacy is way more than just what you give. Legacy is what you leave in how you give, in how you live, and how you prioritize God's purpose in your life. This is what legacy is. Legacy is, is giving extravagantly. Legacy is, is taking a step of faith, you know, with peace, because God orders the steps, and we should be led by peace, but taking a step of faith when God puts something inside of you that seems bigger, you know, like starting, starting a school, and you don't really want to, but you know that you're supposed to, you know, like, like leaving East Texas and a $28 million annual 
independent school district budget and move into St. Landry Parish. You know, like I know somebody that did that one time. It's just, it's just like one of those things that ended up looking back five and a half years later and you go, wow, I never knew what God was going to do. I just knew what God wanted me to do. And you get to the other side because you prioritize him and you learn that to be stretched physically is to be strengthened spiritually. Come on, that's good preaching right there. That every time God stretches you emotionally and God stretches you physically, oh, help us, Jesus, and God stretches you financially. I remember sitting in a service one time, and, and, and we were preparing, the, well, the pastor was preparing us to receive an offering. And hey, side note, real quick, don't ever give because you feel pressured by a pastor. I release you. Do not ever give because you feel pressured by a pastor or a preacher or anybody else. But you better obey the voice of God whenever he shows you a purpose and challenges you to write things and do things that you really didn't want to do. I remember sitting in one of these services. I was like, I don't feel the pressure. Thank you, Jesus. But I looked over at Megan, and it seemed like something was wrong with her. I was like, she's feeling the pressure. <laughs> and I remember thinking of these amounts that God used to ask me to write. And I'm not receiving an offering today. I'm not even really preparing you. To, I'm just sharing our story with you. These checks that God used to ask us to write. And, and at first, I wasn't comfortable with them. And then I was sitting there thinking, oh yeah, Lord, I've learned how to give. And I'm gonna give that amount. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's cute, but that's not what I'm asking you for today. He said, I want you to give this amount. And I was like, do we even have that in our account? <laughs> And I remember looking at her when they was like, just ask the Lord what you're supposed to give. I remember looking over at her and going, what'd he say? <laughs> and she told me a number. I said, do we even have that in our account? And she goes, I don't think so. I said, well, this is going to be interesting. Write the check. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I don't recommend that you do that unless God tells you to. I don't recommend that you pull your children out of school and move them away from family and friends unless God tells you to. I don't re recommend that you go on a mission trip to a second or a third world country unless God tells you to. And I can tell you that every time that God has stretched me physically or financially or emotionally and used me for a purpose that was bigger than where I was currently, you know, like when he told me to pray for somebody that I wasn't comfortable with in front of other people, whenever he told me to share the gospel with somebody that may or may not have had their last chance to hear it, whenever he wanted me to share my story with this random person that was stuck with me in an airplane for the next couple. Isn't that funny? Like God puts somebody right there and he's like, hey, share the gospel. And it takes 45 minutes to start the conversation. But then no matter what you say, like they're stuck. They can't go anywhere. Like you've got them. <laughs> you can say, anyways prioritizing the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says this. I read it a minute ago. The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan, come on, isn't it good that God had a plan from the very beginning? His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world even began. Why? Why should we prioritize God's purpose for our lives? Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is why I believe we should prioritize God in our finances, 
in our giftings and our abilities, not just live our lives and sprinkle in a little Jesus and call that Christianity. That's lukewarm. That's Laodicean. That's the church that God spit out of his mouth. And if you've ever had like nausea and had to spit out of your mouth, you know, that's not a good feeling. Like God doesn't feel good about that group of people. But we should be like the church of Philadelphia who loves appropriately, who gives appropriately. Why should we prioritize God's purpose? Because A, our heavenly father prioritized us. Like I can look back over my life and see where God prioritized me. See where God prioritized my wife. Even though she didn't have her biological father in her house. Even though I could look at some of my circumstances and go, well that doesn't seem up to par with a perfectly holy heavenly father. And some of you could look at your circumstances and they're worse than mine. And that's what we have a tendency of doing is we compare God's goodness to how he's called or how he's doing in other people instead of just comparing God's goodness to the fact that we're not still where we were. Come on, somebody. That he didn't pull me out of that just to punish me here. That he didn't deliver me from that so I could be doomed on in this. No, no, no. He led me out of that and he's still leading me through this. And if he was faithful yesterday, he'll be faithful today and I can trust him for tomorrow. I know our circumstances don't always look the best, but we've got to remember that this is not a plateau that we get stuck on. This is a journey that may do this for a minute, but it only does this and or this because God is about to do this. Whether it's at the end that we're called, I don't know if you've read the end of the book, but the end of the book says that the saints of God are caught up in the air. So it doesn't matter what you feel while you're here. What's important is to know where you are going and why he put you here. Our Father prioritized us. The Bible says that the love of Christ compels us. So hear me. If there's something wrong with your inspiration, you may want to evaluate your love. Because the Bible says that it is the love of God, the prioritization of our Heavenly Father, that inspires and compels us. So if I don't feel compelled, it may be because I don't know His love the way that He wants me to. That I'm not learning about his love the way, well, how do I love somebody I can't see or touch or feel or hear talk back to me? You get to know him. You surrender to him. And I can promise you, the more that you know him, the more you learn about him, the more you learn about him, the more you will love him. The Bible says that he called you according to his purpose before the foundations of the world. The promise that he gave Jeremiah is a promise to anybody that will obey. It says he knit you together in your mother's womb. We just read that it is for our, for our ultimate glory before the world even began. Come on, God had a plan. And his plan was us. Whosoever will, that is who he had these things planned for. So I prioritize his purpose. Even if I can't look at my experience and see it, I can look back over my life. I can read through his word. And I believe that as we prioritize his purpose, I believe we need to allow God to expand our vision. 
I believe that we need to allow God to stretch us. I heard our former superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Dr. George Wood, say in his last days, he turned 80 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer at 80 years old. I was listening to an interview that he gave in January of this year. He passed away in February. And in January, he said this, I found that when I was at my weakest physically, I was at my strongest spiritually. I never knew in my 80 years how spiritually strong I could be until I was at my absolute physically weakest that I had ever been. We prioritize God because he prioritized us. It's an uphill journey. Again, it's not always worth it at the bottom. It's not always worth it on the way up. I mean, I pulled some students out of the van. They looked at the gorge. They were like, "Man, it's hot. Some water. They're just, they're just not happy. It doesn't matter what happens because they try to place their happiness in happenings, and that never works out. The point of the whole passage is that it will be worth it if we'll keep walking. It will be worth it. Whether you're sick down here or whether you got bed bugs down here or whether you're delivering a demoniac down here and maybe you're trying to deliver yourself down here. Whatever it is, if you'll just stay on the bus, come on, if you'll just stay on the path, then you will see God's plan revealed to you if you prioritize his purpose. We prioritize his purpose because he prioritized us and be if we don't, who will? Like if we, but we say we believe. If you don't prioritize God's plan for your life and it's not evident in, your, in the way that you live and your actions, the way that you give and the way that you behave, then, then who, is go, who is going to do it? If we who say we believe do not prioritize him and his will for our lives, then, then who, who's gonna do it? Listen, the world out there is just a byproduct of the complacency in here. Oh, come on, that went over better in first service. If we don't prioritize God, then neither will our children. If we don't prioritize God, then neither will our grandchildren. If we don't prioritize God, then neither will God's other potential children all around us. Well, you say you believe... And the Bible says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, your actions are far from me. If we don't, pri listen, if we're half-hearted, then they will be half-hearted. Come on, if, we, if I live a lukewarm life, my children will live a lukewarm life. If I'm complacent, then they will be complacent. If all I do is focus on secular success and academics and athletics and extracurriculars, and then I sprinkle a little Jesus in and call it Christianity, then that's what they will think is Christianity, even though the New Testament says something completely different than what I'm living. If I don't go all in, then they won't go all in. Who is they? Whoever you have influence with. For me, it's my bride and my babies, A number one, and then all of you. 
If I go out in the culture, in the society, and I live lukewarm, or I blow up on every waitress that don't fill up my glass, oh, I done got real today, or I get mad every time somebody says something I don't like, or I explode on Facebook every time something happens that I'm mad about, or I lose my temper a thousand times over, you're going to look at me and go, why would I want to be like him? He's half-hearted. He's an emotional basket case. I'm already an emotional, but I don't need to go to church to continue to be an emotional basket case. Come on, somebody. But if we look the same as the people that we're supposed to be leading, then why would they let us lead them? If my children look at my life and go, man, I'm not really sure that this is what I want. Because they look and they see how I act and how I respond. And every time I give, I'm irritated about it. And every time I serve... My, my smile is upside down, and I look like I just sucked on a sour lemon. If I wake them up on Sunday and go, come on, we got to go to church. Well, I don't want to go to church. Me either, but we got to. No, <laughs> I think the last time I checked, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Whenever I look around, why does society not prioritize gathering together in the name of Jesus anymore? Why have they pulled prayer out of school? You want to know why? Because at some point, the church started calling faithfulness showing up once a month and calling that their home. Oh, come on. It got heavy now because the church goes out, lives, acts, and looks just like the people that they're supposed to be leading. So we can't be surprised whenever they magnify what we hadn't been operating in. Everything that happens in the culture is an extension of the complacency that started in the church. And if we want to receive a revival in the culture, my God help me today, then we need to see a revival in the church. Judgment starts in the house of God with the people of God. And when we reprioritize what he wants us to prioritize, then they will see the fruit of authenticity and be attracted to it. If you believe it, give him praise today. God help me to be authentically in love with you. And let it be seen in the way that I live for you. The Bible says only those who do the will of the Father shall inherit the kingdom of God. My friend, this is not a warm-up for what's next. This is the only life that you have. Live it for Jesus, and you will lead people to him. Live lukewarm, and you will lead people away from him. It is my conviction. If I do not prioritize God's will for my life, this is not in your notes. You're going to have to write it down on your own. Pastor Weston, would you bring me that bottle of water? If I do not prioritize God's will for my life, thank you. I believe everybody around me will pay for it. If I do not prioritize the will of God for my finances, my children will pay for it. If I do not prioritize the will of God with my schedule, my wife will pay for it. If I do not prioritize the purpose of God for my... Everybody knows in the church, predominantly, there's not a lot of people here that believe we came from pond scum. That we just evolved from bacteria into that. Now, you might believe bacteria evolved into this, but you can't believe bacteria evolved into that. Okay? I was formed, 
like a block. She was fashioned, thank you, Jesus. That had a creator behind it. So for the most part, people believe and know where we came from. The people that believe and know where we came from, they believe and know where we're going. The problem is most people in the church don't know why they're here. Because we understand the past and we understand the future. What we don't understand is what we're supposed to produce between the past and the future. And the reason that we don't understand it is because it's the one thing that he hadn't told you yet. It's the one thing that you have to seek him for that he hadn't already said. The specifics of your life will only be revealed to you as you seek the one that gives life. As, is, as you seek him, you will find him if, the Bible says, you seek him with all of your heart. Because he doesn't reveal the things that he has hidden to half-hearted people that aren't going to appreciate them when they get them. Oh my God, i got to get back to my notes. If I don't prioritize God's will for my life, then everybody around me will pay for it. Just look at this wicked generation. You know why? Because 40 years ago, the church of the 80s and the 70s, the church of the 60s and the 50s, and the 40s and the 20s, at some point, they learned how to go to a building, but they didn't learn how to build what they went to hear about. They just gathered, but they never grew. And people started looking and going, man, if that's Christianity, why did the church of the New Testament explode the way that it did? Because there were no half-hearted, lukewarm, Laodicean, lazy, blame it on the Holy Spirit, receive salvation and sit in your recliner till Jesus comes back Christians. These people gave their lives for the gospel. They couldn't be offended because their lives weren't about them. We must prioritize the purpose of God or everybody around us will pay for it. 2 Kings chapter 22. The Bible says in verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Have you been to an eight-year-old basketball game? Or <laughs> sat in a, have you sat recently in a first or second grade classroom? I, I'll put my head through that door right there on occasion. I'll stick my head around the corner and I'll look around. Even with my boy in the room, I'll back back out and shake my head and thank God for Miss Margaret. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for Pastor Lydia. A second grader is the king of Israel at eight years old. He reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Verse 2, an eight-year-old. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. And followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what is right. 
And again, let me just add, not for the applause of man and not for the impression of man, but for the audience of one. And I need to be very careful right here because if you're not careful, you'll get stuck in the gospel of works. Like you've got to perform in order to sense the presence of God. And Jesus paid the price for you to walk into the presence without having to perform anything. He already did all the performing that needs to be done. What we need to do is surrender and obey. And when we surrender and obey, we begin to receive what he paid for. Josiah did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn away from doing what was right. The next verse continues. I don't have it. I'm going to give you a little summation of what's taken place over the next 10 verses. At about 26 years old, the Bible says 18 years, or in the 18th year of his reign, he sent this, this guy named Shaphan. Shaphan went to the high priest. The high priest's name was Hilkiah. Um, Hilkiah, the high priest, went into the temple, and he was supposed to organize people he was supposed to organize people to restore the temple because the temple was in disarray, okay? The, the temple needed to be repaired. Um, he had leaks everywhere. It's when I, like, like when I first got here, uh, every time it rained, we had a puddle in the hallway. You can ask Miss Nicole. She was in first we, and, and we would vacuum up the puddle. And, and, and I was like, what's causing the puddle? I don't know. It just does that. No, it don't just do that. It's, some, it's got a cause to it. There's a reason it's coming. Well, it just comes in right there, so we just back. Why don't we find out why it's coming in? My God. Well, I'm in charge. Never mind. I'll find it out. And so <laughs> we, started, we started finding where the leaks came from instead of just assuming we weren't going to get flooded. Josiah sent Shaphan to Hilkiah, the high priest. And he said, hey, listen, I want you to see what's in the treasury. See, every good leader knows what's in the treasury. I want you to see what's in the treasury. And he didn't, he didn't base his livelihood off of it. But if what, if what wasn't in the treasury what was supposed to be in the treasury, then he'd go make people pay what was supposed to be there so that he could do what God wanted him to do. And so he went and he got people to be paid and people to be appointed in the proper place, and they began to repair the temple because the former generation wasn't doing everything that God wanted them to do. So now it was his turn. And Josiah is paying and having to pay for what his daddy and his granddaddy and the kings that came before him should have been taken care of. When Shaphan goes to, to instruct Hilkiah to give this TLC to the temple, Shaphan shows up and Hilkiah makes this declaration. This is funny, okay? I don't know how you read your Bible, but I, I'm amused by mine. He gets down there and Shaphan hears from Hilkiah. Hilkiah says this, I have found the book of the law. He's the high priest. The heaven you been reading. What you been doing? You are, you are a chosen people. A, a, a holy nation. A royal priesthood, God's own possession. Hilkiah, you are the high priest. What do you mean you found the book of the law? How long has it been missing? You weren't looking for it? Like what you do, just wake up every day and just be the high priest without any instruction whatsoever? I mean, you like the person been going to church for 30 years, still come by yourself. 
You're like the person that said they believe, but all you do is pray for other people in comments on Facebook, praying for you. No, you ain't. Stop lying. You ain't stopped what you're doing for five minutes and praying for nobody but yourself in the last 15 years. Don't be telling people on social media you praying for them unless you stop and pray for them. And then I dare you to stop typing and posting and pick up the phone and call somebody and prophesy over them in the name of Jesus. Hilkiah, what you been doing? You're the high priest. You're God's chosen people. You have the anointing. You have the authority. No, the devil ain't been making you do nothing. Your lack of discipline been making you do the things that you're doing. I don't need to keep praying. I need to start practicing what's already been spoken. And I need to stop talking and start walking. Come on, somebody. Hilkiah, pick the book of the law up off of your bedside table, off the dust. Open up your phone and stop getting caught up in apps that ain't nothing but temporary and open you version and do a devotional spend a little time in the presence and you may see the promise come to pass but you're not going to see the promise when you're not prioritizing anything that, that you don't want the only thing you invest in is what you want to invest in come on the only thing that you study is the things that you want to study well i don't like reading the bible you ain't got no problem reading text messages i got stuck in something today you you don't mind scrolling on facebook but you ain't spending no time in his book wake up hilkiah you don't have the influence that you're supposed to have because you don't even know where the book of the law is much less how to practice it i found the book of the law i'd have killed that guy you're fired. <laughs> Josiah is a better man than he. They go back, verse 11. The Bible says, when Josiah the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He didn't look down on his nose at anybody. He looked in the mirror at himself. He tore his clothes in despair, the Bible says. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest in verse 13. He said, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed. Oh, they heard. We live in the south. We've heard all about it. But our houses are built on the sands just like everybody else's. And every time something happens in the economy, we see how shifting our faith really is. And every time the wrong person gets voted in or the wrong policy gets voted in, we'll complain about things we hadn't been taking advantage of for years. I can't believe they took school, prayer out of school. When's the last time you prayed in school? Don't get mad now. <laughs> <laughs> they took the Ten Commandments out from over the top of the judge's seat. When's the last time that you remembered the Sabbath and kept it holy? When's the last time that you corrected yourself for coveting the things that your neighbor had? When's the last time you loved your neighbor as yourself? I think that's one of the top. Go to the temple for the Lord, of the Lord for me, for the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll we have not been doing everything it says we must. So Hilkiah goes to this prophetess named Huldah in verses 14 through 15. Hilkiah goes to a prophetess named Huldah. And the Bible says that she was the keeper of the temple wardrobe. That's funny right there. 
God looked down, saw a bunch of men in the temple. They didn't know how to dress. So he said, hey, go get Hulda. We're going to have her tell everybody what to wear. Because <laughs> we got to make these dudes look better. we got to help somebody out. And Hulda comes in, and she prophesies this back to Hilkiah to tell to Josiah. Are you with me? Verse 16. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city and its people. Now, that is not the prophecy that I would have wanted to hear. And, and I'm going to be careful because, listen, hear me. As good as God is, he's still the same God that we read about in the Old Testament. Now, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But I believe that we need a revelation of reverence for a perfectly holy heavenly father. If you're under the age of 15, look at me right now. Get off your phone, quit playing, don't go to the bathroom again until I'm done. You can watch two and a half hour movie, stay in here. I'm telling you that we need a revelation of reverence. Some of them laughing right now because we have no reverence as the people of God. This generation doesn't respect authority the way that they're supposed to respect authority because we didn't respect God the way that we were supposed to respect God. We need a revelation of reverence because my God is an all-consuming fire. And it is a fire of purification or it is a fire of punishment. And I've been through the punishing side. I'm telling you, it's tough to go through the purification, but it's better than the punishment. We need a reverence, but we also need a confidence at the same time that I don't have to perform to please him. Come on, he's a perfectly holy, heavenly father. It means he's not just going to tolerate and enable. Like, what good father just sits in his recliner and let kids destroy the house. So my God gets up out of his lazy boy. He didn't spend more time on ESPN than he does with me. <laughs> All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. Listening to a guy that I like to follow, I don't agree everything that he says on end times, but Dr. Jimmy Evans preached a message recently at Ed Young's church. And the message was called, there is no plan B, essentially. There's no plan B. It's just this one plan. It's God's plan. He was talking about the plan. Uh, there's some things going on in the Middle East right now between Israel and Iran, uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Have you guys heard about this? I'm sorry. God is still honing that gift of sarcasm out of me. Um, and he's speaking to some of those things that are taking place. And, and he's not the doom and gloom guy. He's really not. You know, anyways, in the middle of this message, he references a book that was written by another man. I can't remember the name of the book. You'd have to go watch it for yourself. I can't do everything for you. Go watch it. And, and in this book, he references over 120 things that happened in the United States, like natural disasters that happened in the United States that were directly related to a time that the United States did not defend Israel. One of them was protecting the border between Israel and Palestine. And when the United States did not stand with Israel 
and wanted to give up that border to the nation of Palestine, there was this hurricane that came here called Katrina. I'm not saying God punishes with every natural disaster. I'm just saying God blesses those who stand with Israel. And I don't think that that's some kind of philosophical idea that has been over-explained as some of these new breed people do. I believe it's very clear, very plain. The Jewish people and the ones who believe in God now, Gentiles who confess him as Lord, they are God's people. Verse 17, my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to baseball. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not... That was, that was my idol. You can put popularity or entertainment. You know how many teenagers I saw living for Jesus, get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and serve the devil? Give up their purity, throw everything away. Because they cared what their friends thought more than what their heavenly father thought. Whatever the sacrifice looks like, they offered sacrifices to secular success. They offered sacrifices to the Baal God covered in gold. I'm very angry with them for everything they have done and my anger will burn against this place and it will not be quenched. I have this conviction inside of me and, and it, it turns into an inspiration that if I don't properly prioritize the purpose of God for my finances, for my abilities, for whatever it is that God has given me, I believe that everybody around me will pay for it. And instead of picking up my mantle, they'll spend half of their life cleaning up my mess. Because the complacency of one generation always leads to the condemnation of the next. But I have good news because this story doesn't end in verse 17. He continues. This is the words of the prophetess. He says, go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the message you have just heard. Verse 19, you were sorry and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I said against this community, against this city, and against the people that reside in it, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. Come on, you didn't just feel bad and not do anything about it. Come on, you apologized and you made an adjustment. It is so silly to me. Look, if you ever see me and you cuss in front of me, don't apologize to me. I'm not Jesus. He just put me there to remind you of himself. <laughs> Come on. Don't change what you're doing for people. You're not performing for the awe or the applause of man. You are producing for an audience of one. I didn't lay my life down for you. I can't forgive you. I can't pay for your sin. I can forgive you if you did something to me. Become who God created you to be because of who he's given to you and who he is to you, not because of what he can do for you. Apologize. Repent. Make an adjustment that follows in repentance. You tore your clothing in despair and you wept before me in repentance. Guys, guys, seriously, church, when is the last time that you went to God on behalf of somebody else? 
When is the last time that you wept before the Lord in repentance for the sake of your city, for your community, for your friends, for your family? You didn't just go to him and, and throw your request at him, but you actually got down on your knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you wept in repentance over what you have allowed up to this point. This is what Josiah did on behalf of his family, on behalf of God's people. And when he did this, the Lord says, I have indeed heard you. Come on, this is why we believe that if you'll come forward and ask somebody for prayer, God hears you. I have indeed heard you. Verse 20, so I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died. Come on, this is a future promise as well. The Bible says the saints shall not see the wrath of God. Come on, as long as I'm here, I can hold back what the Father wanted to punish off of the people that stay under my influence. I, that's not just for me, that's for you too. Did you know you can pray the attack of the enemy off of your family? My wife laid hands on my shoulder before I got up this morning and she prayed for you. She said, I rebuke any attack, any plan or any scheme. She said, I cancel in the name of Jesus anything that the enemy has planned today. And I, I believe in Jesus' name that God, you would use this man for the purpose of your kingdom. And that's why I'm able to come in here on a weekly basis and inspire just two or three more to not just say they believe, but to show that they believe because we walked in here and canceled the plan of the enemy. If she doesn't pray that, I don't remember it and I might not say it to you and it might not happen. I will hold off the disaster until you've been buried in peace. You will not see what I am going to bring on this city. It's gonna happen. God's revelation is coming. But it is not the will of God that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And while we're still here, you know, the only thing holding off the wrath of God is the church of Jesus. When the church leaves, watch out, the wrath's coming. But as long, come on, as long as the church is, I gotta read Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse five, says you must not bow down to other idols and you must not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Like, you gotta prioritize me. You can't just prioritize everything else and then include me. Listen to me. God doesn't want to be involved in your schedule. He wants to be in charge of your schedule. God doesn't want to be involved in your family. He wants to be in charge of you. God doesn't want to be thrown a tip on Sunday. He wants to be in charge of your treasure every day. That's just who he is. He's a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods, little g. I lay the sins. Oh, Lord, help me. Every preacher's preached this one. We like to get mad about this one. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations hold the scripture who reject me. Now, I believe in generational curse. I believe that there are things that I went through in life because of the things that generations before me didn't deal with in their lives. I believe that if it's not handled in one generation, it's handed down to the next generation, even to the third and the fourth generation. And I have had to deal with things that people before me never dealt with. I won't use anybody as an example. I had a great upbringing. I'm not talking about my mama right now. I'm talking about the spiritual mothers and fathers and talking about biological grandparents and great-grandparents 
and whomever it may have been, there were things on me down to three to four generations that I've had to deal with, that I've had to overcome, that just came naturally. Like I didn't even want them in me. That just seemed like they were there. Anybody else have a sense of those things? It's in your DNA. It's handed down to you, to the third or fourth generation. I believe in generational cursing. And some of you carry three to four generations worth of curse that you're gonna have to deal with and that you're gonna have to learn how to overcome. And as many times as I've heard that preached, I have not heard this one preached because verse six continues. I don't just curse down to the third and fourth generation. The Bible says, but I lavish, whoo, come on somebody, unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and on those who love me and obey my command. So for every generational curse that the devil tried to put on me from a great grandfather or a great great grandmother I believe that if it just one person would love the Lord their God with all their heart mind soul and strength if just one person commits their ways to the Lord if just one person is more than a hearer but a doer I got a thousand generations of blessing falling down upon me for every three to four that tried to take me out God is lifting up a thousand more to keep me so as long as I'm here loving Jesus and leading people to do the same, my babies and my grandbabies and my great-grandbabies and your babies and your grandbabies and your great-grandbabies and you and this city and the surrounding area, I'm claiming the whole state in the name of Jesus. As long as I live here, as long as I'm a hearer and a doer, a thousand generations of blessing upon every individual. Why? Because I am a promise. I'm not just reading the promises of God. I'm living them. And I'm handing them down. Because God has not hidden these things from me. I receive his glory so I can reveal his glory. I got to pray I kept you too long. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. Come on, I know it's tough down here. But I'm telling you, no eye has seen. No ear has heard. I know that metal costs more than it's ever cost before. And God wants me to build two buildings. What? Now? Do you know what interest rates were two years ago? Why didn't you tell me this in 2019? I believe that the church, listen, I believe that the church is about to understand the one thing that the Apostle Paul heard Jesus say audibly. My grace is sufficient for your every burning desire and need. No eyes seen, no ears heard, no mind can even imagine the thousands of generations that are being poured out for those who love.